Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple months, you've heard all about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. GameTime features great deals on upcoming games. If you're looking for maybe Penn State basketball tickets now that the football season is complete, they are actually in higher demand than usual with Penn State in the AP poll for the first time uh, since 1996. And uh, so if you're looking for last-minute tickets to Penn State men's basketball games, check out the GameTime app. Great seats, great selection available, and you can go in, and, and it's very easy to use and see the exact seats that you're purchasing, what the view will be. So check that out. And now GameTime is also hooking you up for the holidays with $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Tickets section of the app. Create an account. Then under the Billing section, redeem code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's the athletic, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem the code, and it expires at the end of the year, December 31st, 2019. So make moves quick and score last-minute tickets. Welcome back to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State podcast. It is the end of the season. as Penn State won the Cotton Bowl against Memphis on Saturday. I am college football editor Matt Brown, joined by the Athletics Penn State writer Audrey Snyder, who is back from a busy and maybe even more exciting week than expected in Dallas. You know, Matt, it's always crazy when you wake up the morning after Christmas, you're in a hotel in Dallas, and you get texts that they hired an offensive coordinator. <laughs> Ahead of bowl media You're welcome. So, yeah, appreciate the text, uh, keeping me up to date on everything uh, during a crazy busy season, travel schedule, all of that. Um, yeah, Penn State caps the season with 11 wins, man. Just like I predicted back in August. Nope. Uh, yep, you not at all. You were the pessimist. You were the pessimist. So I was like, ah, you know, 8-4, and 9-3, somewhere in there. Wrong, completely wrong. Um, but really, you know, Penn State ended this year on a high note with the Cotton Bowl victory against Memphis. And Matt, I mean, I think, I don't know, I don't want to speak on behalf of the fan base because I know they wouldn't appreciate that, but I feel like that win was probably about as high as a way to end the season as you could have hoped, right? Well, I, I think there's going to be plenty of parsing of the pass defense for the next eight months. Fair, Beyond absolutely. that, at least. Yeah. I mean, even a game that was fifty-three to thirty-nine, the most you know the best player on the field was a defensive player somehow with Michael Parsons. Yeah. <laughs> so you add that to just the way the running game looked, and and you know there, there were certainly problems in the game. The passing game uh, was not clicking as anybody would have hoped, but it didn't matter because Memphis could not tackle anybody in the running game. And the way Michael Parsons play, you add that all up, and Journey Brown, and Journey Brown. But you and then you start off the week though too, or start off post Christmas with the offensive coordinator hire, which I think had a, as high of an approval rate rating as realistically was possible. Cause we know that Joe Brady was not realistic. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we should get into that first, just a little bit here. We have plenty of time uh, in the next eight months to talk about uh, Kirk Sharaka, the, who comes in from Minnesota, but we can touch on it here. He was, as Audrey said, announced Thursday morning and you know, it, it I guess it shouldn't be too much of a shock just based on, one, the way James Franklin talked about him, justifiably so, after Penn State got burnt by Minnesota's offense in November. Two, Shiraki is a Pennsylvania native, uh, went to graduate from Temple, he's from Lewisbury, PA. 
So checks a lot of boxes for Penn State. He's a local guy, wants to be at Penn State. Clearly, he left a good uh, Big Ten offensive coordinator job for this. And he has a really, really strong track record. So, again, realistically, I don't know if James Franklin could have done any better here. I agree with you, Matt. I mean, I think this was, as we started looking at the search and we kept hearing James Franklin say blend, that it's all about, you know, how's this new coordinator going to blend in with the other coaches? How are his ideas going to blend in? They didn't want to have this whole verbiage overhaul. Uh, they wanted to try and keep, you know, as many as many terms familiar and the same as they could and as they can. So I think this was a really, really good hire for them because you look at what Sharaka was able to do at Minnesota, not only just against Penn State, but you look there at kind of the differences in recruiting, right, and the differences in talent that you have between the two schools, and Penn State has been able to get a lot of talented recruits consistently now since James Franklin's been here, especially the last three, four years. So you have to kind of up the ante there. And my my point, and one of the things I wrote about uh, this morning on The Athletic that's up, is Penn State isn't, they didn't hire Kirk Scirocco to be a dynamic recruiter, right? That's not his thing. This is an X's and O's guy who P.J. Flex said after Minnesota beat Penn State last year, he said, listen, Scirocco stayed behind, he stayed in his office, the rest of the staff was out recruiting, and he holed himself up and was game planning. And, like, that's what this guy does. So you're kind of getting, and we went through this a little bit, I remember, with, you know, over the years with Bob Shoup, a little bit with Joe Moorhead, kind of these more analytical, more X's and O's guys, and they don't want to be pegged as kind of, like, film nerds, but maybe they're a little bit more cut from that cloth um, as opposed to the dynamic recruiters, because let's be honest, Penn State has a lot of coaches who are not only good coaches, but also really good recruiters. Uh, so they brought Chiraka in clearly to try and help get them to that next level. And uh, one of the things I wrote about this past week, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, um, I recommend you checking it out because Matt gave me the great idea, um, said, hey, let's talk to these guys because he was announced the morning Penn State was having its media day uh, in Arlington. Let's talk to the defense about what they saw, what they liked about Chiraka. I mean, not liked, but what gave them fits about Chiraka. What they like about him now, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that, I'll tell you what, man, the players were great about it. I got Brent Pry one-on-one about it for a good while, um, and I thought the insight that they provided about, you know, how difficult this RPO was to stop, how confused it made them, I think really speaks volumes about, you know, what Penn State is getting in this hire and how it really baffled one of the better defenses in college football. So, you know, Sharaka was at the bowl game. Uh, he was able to be around the team for part of last week. The hiring was, was announced Thursday. He met with the offense. Uh, but when you've got defensive guys who are very analytical, like a Shaka Tony, who are saying, hey, you know, I want to meet with Sharaka because I want to know how he did this to us. I think, Matt, that tells you that there's a lot of intrigue about this hire. Uh, and it looks like it's going to be a pretty darn good one, too. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, you look at his resume. He's a guy who coached Joe Flacco at Delaware uh, at Western Michigan. They had a lot of success. They won undefeated that last year with under P.J. Fleck. And Corey Davis, their wide say, receiver, yep. finished as is the all-time leading receiver in FBS history after you know his time in that offense. And then obviously you look at Minnesota. Penn State saw firsthand what that offense was capable of. But, you know, they – Tanner Morgan, the quarterback, he's sixth in the country in passing efficiency, averaging 10.3 yards per attempt, 
percent completion rate. Clear development there. They have some great receivers, but they got the most out of the receivers, which Penn State is also looking for. So you just add it all up. And what is thousand yard running back too, Matt? I mean, yeah. it's it's to me this is like if you're a receiver at Penn State, you've got to be pretty jacked up about this yes. because you see the track record. If you're a running back, which by the way, I can also plug this one here because I'm sure we'll talk about it. Um, I asked all the running backs last week because the freshmen were made available for the first time since they enrolled. Hey, are you guys all going to be here next year? Yes, they all say they're going to be here. So you've got a lot of talent to work with. Anyhow, that's that's my my transition, Matt. Well, and Sean Clifford as well, though, let's point out too, because, you know, mm-hmm. I think we can talk about it in the game as well here, but they're looking, you know, he showed flashes this year. He was inconsistent. You know, he was expected to be inconsistent. You know, first-year starter. Uh, they're still looking for guys to step up the receiving core, but you know there's a clear resume of quarterback development that Chiraca has, and you know it's probably the biggest. You know if Penn State wants to make a leap into the playoff conversation next year, a lot of that's going to fall on Sean Clifford making a leap and being a more consistent player, and mm-hmm. the offense getting into a better rhythm. You know it was just it was definitely an inconsistent year all around for the offense. It just it never felt like they found that kind of consistent groove. And, you know, maybe Chirac is the answer as a he's a veteran play caller, uh, track record quarterback development. And, you know, I think Ricky Ronnie, you know, had some faults, did a solid job at Penn State. But based on track record and what has been accomplished, it looks like an upgrade at offensive coordinator for Penn State. Proven play caller, right? Yes. I mean, that's I think that's what you you look at. They wanted a guy with experience. You know, this wasn't one of those. Oh, let's get a guy and try to develop him. No, you've got to try and get this team to the next level. Um, And, I mean, it looks like you're going to have quite a bit of talent to try and get you there. Now, obviously, as we're recording this uh, Monday afternoon, K.J. Hamler has not announced anything yet, whether he's staying or leaving. Uh, I spoke with him in the locker room after the game, and he said that he wanted to take a few days, that he also wanted to talk with James Franklin about it. Um, So... he didn't have anything set up with Franklin, but wants to talk with him. Of course, it looked like a, it was a very emotional moment with KJ Hamler and his dad afterward um, that I was able to capture on video. He was hugging his dad over the railing. Very long time, um, but you could read into that however much, however little you want. I mean, there's still a decision for KJ Hamler to make, and really a decision for a lot of these guys, Matt, because, you know, as much as we heard about Itor Gross Matos and him announcing that he's going to the draft uh, ahead of the game, as much as we heard about Michael Menick coming back, as much as Will Fries said, you know, that he's coming back, all these other guys now, there's there are going to be decisions to make, and maybe it trickles over a little bit more just because the 13th is when the semester starts, and I believe, is the deadline, Matt, I want to say January 20th? Yeah, it's a little later than usual yeah. this year, I believe. So, so we'll see. Plenty of that. Plenty of drama still to come there, but we've talked a lot about Sharaka. He was in in Dallas, of course, but he was not calling the plays in the game. That was interim offense coordinator Tyler Bowen, the tight ends coach. And in some respects, it was an impressive job. In others, you know, I think the entire stadium and everybody at home and everybody on Twitter was just yelling, run the football for about half the game. Yep. Uh, And justifiably so, because Penn State had its best bowl rushing performance ever. They had their most rushing yards since the 2002 game against Northwestern back in Larry Johnson's massive second half of the season. 
And Journey Brown set a Penn State bowl record with 202 rushing yards. Penn State had its most points ever in a bowl game with 53. Uh, it was the highest scoring Cotton Bowl ever. On and on and on. I'm sure I'm missing lots of facts about the way this game played out and the high score. One of those touchdowns was defense, of course. But still, it was, you know, we, we spent so much time talking about the running game this year. And this was, you know, they, they were obviously facing an overmatched run defense. That was quite clear. But you... There was no reason not to be extremely impressed with what Penn State accomplished on the ground. Blocking was great, but you look at Journey Brown's first touchdown. His hard running was also really, really good, and we saw that from him. We saw it from Noah Kane. Ricky Slade broke off a good, a nice run as well. Four yarder. Yep. Have to feel pretty great about what the running game looks like going into next year. Yeah, and you know, I asked Journey Brown afterward. Of course, he was named the uh, offense's MVP for the game, and obviously, Micah Parsons took home the honor for the defense after playing out of his mind. Um, but I said the journey, I said, you know, I just kind of want to be clear here, you know, does this game change anything for you in terms of next season? And, you know, as you saw in Chris Godwin in the Rose Bowl, I mean, it's guys have these insane performances, maybe it changes their mind about what they want to do for their future kind of thing. Um, and journey said, no, he said, I want to make it clear. I'm coming back. Like I still have things that I want to accomplish here. Uh, kind of, you know, a bit of unfinished business, which, Again, makes complete sense because all season, this wasn't a guy who we were talking about potentially leaving early, but when you go off for 200 plus yards um, in the Cotton Bowl, you know, you wonder. But I asked Jaywan Sider also in the locker room uh, after the game, I said, so we asked you so much this year about what do you do with four running backs? What do you do next year with six? And he smiled and <laughs> laughed. And he goes, oh, man, I'm going to, like, that's Shiraka's problem. I just have to coach these guys. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you know, I mean, it's, the dynamic in that room, Matt, like these guys are not blowing smoke when they say that they like each other, that they get along. I mean, I stood there at the media day uh, in the Cowboys locker room and just went one by one down the row talking to these four guys and they were busting on each on each other the whole time. They're telling me how Noah Kane is the pickiest eater they've ever been around um, like just all these good anecdotes that like, this isn't some fabricated, like, oh yeah, they like each other. Like this is a genuine, you know, Ricky Slade was telling me about how these guys helped up- uplift him during his season that he said was a roller coaster, you know, that he said having those guys in the room who were able to laugh, keep things light really helped him. Um, and it helped Noah Kane kind of come out of his shell too, because they had said, and getting to know Noah very briefly as a recruit, you could sense it. I mean, he is super serious. He doesn't say a whole heck of a lot. Um, they said, Ricky Slade said, yeah, we finally got Noah to lighten up and laugh. And like, this was a big breakthrough for them. So, you know, you look at having all four of those guys back next year. I did ask Ricky Slade as well. I said, you know, we saw you have success catching some passes this year. Is this something that you're maybe going to take the Shiraka and Lobby to do more of? You know, maybe will we see you in the slot more? That kind of thing. Uh, he said he's certainly not opposed to it. That it's something that, you know, he had success doing it, uh, catching passes in high school. So we'll see really kind of what this offense looks like. I know one of the things that's out there right now is you look at the numbers for tight ends in Shiraka's offenses and... Um, not really what you'd expect, especially when you have a guy like Pat Fryermuth coming back, you'd expect that, uh, he's going to have to be a bigger part of the offense, but 
you got to see, Matt, but I do think the way this season ended for these running backs, with all four of these guys having a good game, really just spoke to what this year was all about for the offense. Bowl season is in full swing, and we've got the championship game coming up on January 13th. If that's not enough to get you excited, the NFL playoffs are about to start too. Need even more? The DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on all that action and more 24-7, 365 days a year. With so much going on this week, they have great promotions running every day. From odds boosts to free bets, DraftKings has it all. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook will give new users a free bet just for signing up. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code TOSS. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet when you sign up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with code TOSS to place your first bet, and you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, and I think you're going to see Shiraka adapt to the personnel because Penn State's going to have one of the best tight end groups in the country. Like, he knows that. (laughs) And it's, you know, it's just Minnesota had two of the best wideouts in the country this year, and they don't throw the ball 60 times a game, and they got the ball to their best playmakers. Penn State's, you know, one of its two best playmakers this year has been Pat Fryermuth, and he's going to be one of the two best, or maybe the best, depending on KJ Hamler's decision next year. And we saw that. Passing again. Passing game didn't have a ton of success, but Pat Fryermuth uh, sure looked like an NFL tight end out there with his couple of chances that he did get. Two catches, thirty nine yards, ran some people over. Yeah, but you oh, know yeah. what? Yeah, they came out throwing under Bowen, and I they were they came out with a kind of an aggressive mindset. It seemed it didn't really work at the start. You know, they had a three and out, and then they had a quick touchdown drive, and then they had another three and out, and it became quite clear very quickly that Penn State could just run the ball and. After the initial angst about not doing it, they ended up finishing with 53 carries for 396 yards and five touchdowns. Clifford only 11 of 20, 133 yards, touchdown and a pick. Made a couple of nice throws. Didn't you know had didn't get a ton of help from his receivers. Didn't get a ton, ton of help from his offensive line. I think there were cases of some coverage sacks or, or uh, pressure because of good coverage. And really, it was an interesting day for the offensive line because the offensive line was completely dominant in the running game. And not so much protecting Clifford, but you just look at it, what they have next year. It's again, I know this was Memphis and not to take anything away from them, but clearly not, you know, a big top big 10 caliber run defense, but there is no reason why Penn state can't have a really, really, really good running offense next year with all these guys back with potentially four starters in the offensive line back plus really kind of five when you look at the guys who have gotten play in time this year and um, Matt, let's add uh one of the things that minnesota we saw that unbalanced line this year too. now granted very much know, a minnesota thing though yes <laughs> such such a minnesota thing but you know you they do feel like we heard it so much this year you know it's all we feel like we have six starters cj thorpe got the start in the cotton bowl um had some nice plays that, you know, just stood out watching the game live. Um, I'll go back and actually rewatch it today, but watching live, uh, there were some plays where he looked pretty impressive. But one of the things I wanted to go back to, Matt, that you mentioned were these receivers and not getting a heck of a lot of help from them in this game. You know, I wrote about it last week and said, okay, this game could potentially be a springboard for a Daniel George, for a Jahan Dotson. Um, not a great game from Daniel George. Dotson flashed a little bit. He had yes. a couple nice plays. Yeah, say Dotson was, you know, kind of 
kind of as he was all year. You know, he makes some nice plays, goes about it quietly. Um, but Daniel George, you know, had been dealing with a hand injury this year, and I do wonder, you know, does that have any bearing on, you know, the drop or multiple drops uh, that we've seen? I don't know because, again, we don't know the extent of that injury and kind of how long it messed with him, those sorts of things. Um, but there I thought was a chance for him to put a get better game together than he did. And I did want to mention, because while, like I said, we don't know as of Monday at 12.15 p.m. what K.J. Hamler's future holds at Penn State, I did find it a little interesting uh, that the last play of the game was a rush to Hamler that went for five yards, which, I don't know, Matt. Should have went me, for more. He he seemed to get confused <laughs> about where the – he could have closed out the game and seemed to forget where the chains were. <laughs> but to me, that kind of – again – could be reading too much into it here, but to me that kind of signifies a bit of a curtain call of, hey, you know, we're going to give you the ball. Um, but again, we'll see what he does, but I do think, you know, looking at this receiving core, as we mentioned last week, Keandre Lambert, I think, is a heck of an opportunity to be one of, among these guys who comes in and has a shot to play potentially early on, um, because I think... Especially if Hamler goes, there's going to be an opportunity for these young guys to come in and play right away. I do think, you know, they did go away from the passing game. Obviously, the second yeah. half, they just ran the ball. Jahan Dotson, I do I do have confidence that he's going to step up and be a really legit threat. Because we've seen flashes of it. You know, he's not had really these, like, monster games. But he, he's clearly there is a lot of potential there. And he's, you know, shown flashes of tapping into that. And, you know, if Penn State wouldn't have just justifiably run the ball the entire second half, you probably would have seen him make some more plays. But, yeah, beyond him then, you know, I'm not worried there. I think they have one clear guy who's on the rise. But then it's, okay, can Daniel George step up? Can any of these guys step up? Can the freshmen step up? They have a couple freshmen who we haven't really seen much this year. Jones, John Dunmore. So it's kind of – for sure, the biggest question of the offseason, and it felt like it was a big question coming into this year as well, is just, you know, are they going to develop at wide receiver? They, you know, should have some coaching continuity there um, with after, you know, cycling through wide receivers coaches. We, you know, expect Parker to be back. And, you know, you have maybe with a new offensive coordinator, new play calling, they, they find kind of better ways to spread the ball around. And, you know, again, also a big part of it is you just have to think that with a year under Shiraka, the or the whole another offseason, he has a year under his belt. Sean Clifford becoming more consistently accurate and better decision maker as well. Again, he had did some really nice things this year. Overall, had a pretty solid first year as a starter, but there's clear room for growth in terms of decision making in the running game and in the RPO game. And we definitely have seen, at least with Tanner Morgan, that Shiraka is able to kind of maximize the, that ability in that offense. Uh, so it's going to be fascinating to see what this offense looks like next year because it'll be similar in some respects. They have so many playmakers to work with, with or without him, where they still have a lot of, you know, recruiting talent, uh, going to have a lot of experience on the offensive line, a lot of experience at tight end, a lot of experience at running back, and experience at quarterback, too, now with John Clifford. And so, you got Levis some reps, you know, throughout the year, too. too, as a backup. So, I mean, you've got you've got the talent to work with. Um, obviously, this is a much better team if K.J. Hamler stays. That's, you know, clear, but... If he goes, um, I do think by hiring Shiraka, you've got a guy who's going to find ways to maximize your talent and really kind of 
you've seen him essentially do more with less, you know, when, when you look in terms of star power and those sorts of things. So I think you have to be excited about the hire. Uh, we do not know when he'll be introduced at Penn State. Uh, the semester doesn't start until January 13th, so I would not expect it to happen before then. But, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of questions about about what he does with this offense. Um, how he gets up to speed with this roster is something that I already wrote about Today on The Athletic, uh, watched him pregame sit there and flip through a packet of notes with talking points about all of the 2020 signees on offense. So, you know, there, there's all these things that you have to do to get up to speed. But one person, Matt, who Penn State doesn't have to worry about getting up to speed because he's already a 12 out of 10 Red is Micah Parsons. Uh, Matt, that game for Micah Parsons was Absolutely crazy. I, 20 years to the day of LeVar Arrington's last college game, which was he just absolutely destroyed Texas A&M in the Alamo Bowl. 20 to the day. Wow, I didn't know that. There you go. <laughs> you Thanks can always for count that me stat, for Matt. Could have used that anniversary one. dates, yes. <laughs> that was, I mean, you're just watching this guy, and he was on an entire different level <laughs> than everyone else. And the thing that stood out to me, and I think, I think you have a really good healthy team, you know, good continuity when you see this guy who just has this monster game and he is taking so much crap from his teammates afterward who know how to get under his skin, who love jabbing at him. And, you know, Sean Clifford's yelling at him saying that, you know, Micah must be a big PBU guy because he doesn't have an interception all year. You have Journey (laughs) Brown telling him to get on the jugs machine K.J. Hamler stops answering questions about his future, you know, to say that Micah needs to improve his hands. Like, this guy was taking so much flack, uh, all good-natured ribbing, but I think that really tells you that when one of your leaders can take that in stride, and knowing Micah, knowing how he loves to talk, he, of course, fired back and said, you know, well, Sean, I didn't get picked off today, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I blew up a reverse, what did you do kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, It was really cool to see those guys just have that banter uh, in the locker room during the trophy presentation, all these kinds of things, uh, because Micah is that good, and everyone on that roster knows that he is that good, but again, finishes this year without an interception, so despite all the success, his teammates wanted to harp on the one thing that he didn't do this year, Uh, and of course, knowing Micah, that is going to be a big focus of his offseason. He said, you know, it's not about the jugs machine. It's about the live action and just kind of improving his hands uh, in those types of situations. Well, Parsons finished with 14 tackles, two sacks, three tackles for loss, two pass breakups, should have had at least one interception. And he also had, I will give myself credit here. I think I tweeted oh sometime in the second quarter when things were unraveling briefly for Memphis and they had like negative yards of offense in the second quarter. It just looked like inevitable that Penn State was like going to score a touchdown on defense. It took for a while then. Memphis offense woke up again. But then the key play of the game that just kind of closed the door on Memphis's hopes for a win was Parsons make, getting after Brady White and pu- punching the ball out and ends up being an interception return for a touchdown for Garrett Taylor. But credit to Garrett Taylor for scoring the touchdown. But that play was all Michael Parsons and uh, just kind of – he didn't have the interception himself, but it was just a remarkable game in, you know, a game in which Penn State gave up 479 passing yards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, not the finest effort from the defense, but Michael Parsons was the best player on the field. And it's just 
they needed some game changing plays. They needed some big time disruption. And when they really needed it, it was often Micah Parsons who came through and made the play. And you can't kind of can't say enough about his effort. Even you would like to have, have an interception or two. I think it's inevitable that he will eventually score a touchdown himself on defense. But, you know, you look at the, that situation and the play he came up with, that was, uh, what, at the end of the third quarter, they're up 38-36. to 36. It looks like they were pulling away. Then Memphis kind of fought back, and they get that touchdown to go up by nine, and that was basically the game. And, and the thing – I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, the, and the thing that got me was um, I asked him afterward, I said, Micah, you know, you made all these plays today. Like, which one was your favorite? And he said, you know, he said, it was the reverse that I blew up in the first quarter. He's like, that, that was one, pretty good. <laughs> which, yeah, I was like, that one was pretty crazy. And he was like, you know, that set the tone for me. And the fact that, again, he's he's just a fun-loving personality. And he said, you know, that he goes, I know this is going to sound weird, but when it rains, he feels like he plays better. <laughs> and we're like, well, I mean, the game was inside. And he's like, it doesn't matter. Like, I... I saw rain in the forecast this morning. He said he texted his parents and said, the storm is coming. Whatever and he says, he was right. I mean, so, <laughs> I mean, I think Penn state fans should break out their ponchos for next year and hope it rains for every game because, uh, it was, I mean, that to me, that was one of those, you look at, you look at, you know, big time players. That was one of those all time performances. And that's the kind of thing, especially because it comes on the more of a national stage, you know, in the cotton bowl, you have a lot more eyes on this game, uh, just from you know more casual Penn State, or not not casual Penn State fans, but just casual college football fans, because it was happening right before the playoff games. You see this guy, and now I think the whole nation has kind of woken up, if they weren't already, to whoa, this guy is going to be one of the best players in college football next year. You know he's going to carry with him, which I wrote about, kind of that Lavar esque hype. And all off season, it's going to be about Micah Parsons. It's going to be, you know, cameras in his face and everyone wanting to know every little thing that he does. Uh, kind of like it was a few years ago with Saquon Barkley headed into his junior year. I mean, we're talking about guys in the same stratosphere. And I thought our Dane Brugler made a really good point during the game as well. And he said, you know, you look at the draft class next year. And he said, Penn State might have the best linebacker with Micah Parsons and the best tight end with Pat Fryermuth. So, again, you've got a lot of talent on this roster. And Micah really, which it's crazy to think, Matt, that he's already heading into his junior season because it seems like he just got here. Uh, but what he accomplished against Memphis is one of those all-time moments uh, that really sets the tone, continues to lay that foundation for the future because... You know, you're, you're moving on without Jan Johnson. You're moving on without Cam Brown. I did get to talk with Brandon Smith last week. I'll have more on that this week on The Athletic from a one-on-one -on -one interview with him about his freshman year. Uh, but you're going to have some big-time linebackers getting ready to take on bigger roles next year. And Micah, of course, is going to be the leader of that group. Certainly it was an unusual game for the defense, to say the least. Uh, 39 points and certainly could have been more as well, despite Parsons' efforts. Very, here's a random stat for you that I dug up from the uh, play index on college football reference. Memphis threw for 479 yards and zero touchdowns. That is the most passing yards a team has had with no passing touchdowns in a game since at least 2000, which leads me to believe that possibly ever. They might have set a record for the most passing yards without a passing touchdown in a game. So it was the ultimate like, bend but that, don't man. break. Uh, 
I do. I, it Pacific. came up on the media shuttle on the way back. We were talking about it, and I said, yeah, like, when, you know, when was the last time this happened? So I'm really glad that you pulled that stat up because I will now be able to sleep at night. 2002, Arizona State had 474 yards passing and zero touchdowns through the air against North Carolina is the closest thing according to sports reference. So it was, you know, Memphis did score three touchdowns on the ground, set up in large part by the passing game. But it was just strange, and Penn State just kept giving up yards and then kind of getting stops. And we saw, like, an all-time great kicking performance from yeah. Memphis <laughs> kicker Riley Patterson, who went 6 of 6 with a long of 51 yards. So he scored uh, 24 points in the game, counting the extra points. But that was kind of the difference. Penn State had a defensive touchdown, and despite getting repeatedly burned in the passing game, they at least – kind of clamped down and, and stopped them in the red zone, stopped them in their own territory that Memphis was forced to settle for those long field goals. And that really kind of made the difference in the game. And there was not the special teams touchdown, Matt, that I had said all year. Oh, maybe this is the week. Maybe this is the week for a kick return. Maybe this is the week for a punt return. Um, didn't happen. Wasn't the case. But uh, I also asked Micah Parsons uh, if he thinks that he's going to get a shot as a kick returner, because in a game <laughs> where you can do no wrong, I thought maybe they'd kind of try to throw him a bone there late. I thought they should have put him on offense and just he. I, I hey, said why he would have scored. He probably would have scored an eighty-yard touchdown if you put him at, in the running game because I think anybody would have. The way you that saw Jason Cabinda line up as a fullback against the <laughs> Packers did, yeah. on Sunday. I yeah, mean, if Parsons sees that, he's going to get some ideas. <laughs> oh, he is. I mean, and I just think you know, you look at how this team progressed this year, kind of the strides that they made. Uh, and to me, of course, the special teams was better this year than it was last year. No doubt about it. It wasn't a liability, uh, which is, you know, noticeable upgrade. Yeah, but, number one in ESPN's FPI or in their in their efficiency for special teams this year. So yes, quietly like, really good this year. Yeah. And I think that's kind of one of the things that maybe got lost in the, in the shuffle this year, too, was like, this is one area where they thought they could make the most growth overall as a team. And they did that. So despite... You know, not getting the touchdowns in the that in that regard, they also weren't getting gashed. They weren't getting blown up, uh, which really helped. So, Matt, they're going to also head into the off season needing a punter because this was the end of the road for senior Blake Gilligan. Uh, so Jordan Stout, you know, we've seen him on kickoffs. Uh, Got to think he's probably the guy there next year uh, as the punter too. So we'll we'll see how that kind of shakes out as well. Also, slight shout-out here to Jake Penninger, the kind of forgotten man this year. Yeah. But did actually go 11 of 12 on field goals this year. You know, it was kind of not noticed because Penn State just did not settle for many field goals this season. And Jordan Sat was the guy who was getting attention for his leg on kickoffs and then came in as the guy who kicks field goals on 50-plus. Ended up being 2 of 3 himself on field goals. But Penn State was 13 of 15 as a team on field goals. So Penninger... You know, not given a lot of credit, I feel like, this year, but had a pretty solid season that was a little bit under the radar. And, and you know, Blake Gilligan obviously uh, kind of had a, a comeback season of sorts as well, Had a really, did a really nice job this year. So they, they did not make big plays in the returning game that maybe – the returning game that maybe we expected with K.J. Hamler. But all around in terms of kick and punt coverage, field goals, punting – uh, special teams were just such a drastic improvement, I feel like, under Joe Lurig, who we, we saw what Memphis can do with the kickers that they're recruiting. Yeah. He obviously did a nice job there, and I think clearly an upgrade and a good coaching hire for Penn State last year. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you always talk about how can this roster get better, right? Where can they make strides? Where can they make leaps? And that was one area that they wanted to and they did. Um, I am curious kind of what this offensive line looks like next year, just because 
you know, this year they were better, certainly in some regards. Um, but you look at Matt, the talent that they have there, the talent that they've recruited along that offensive line, and I just wonder if there's another another level for this group to hit. Uh, because, of course, you know, you're only losing Steven Gonzalez, so, you, you know, you have a lot of continuity that you return, but that's kind of one of the things that I'm always curious about because it's been, it's been such a storyline with Penn State uh, for so many years, so I think that's, you know, always something that we keep an eye on as we kind of shift away from the season and more so into the off season. Well, we will have, of course, plenty to cover in the off season. It should be a fascinating one. Penn State ended this season on a high note. As we mentioned, 11 wins. Third time in four years, they'll finish with 11 wins. Uh, third time in four years, they went to a New Year's Six game. Things, you know, James Franklin, new contracts, which we're still waiting for the details, but we know oh, it's you know what? agreed I, I, upon. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I can throw some details and some context to that because Sandy Barber did meet with the media uh, in Dallas ahead of the Cotton Bowl game. And, you know, she said that, she hopes that the details, the terms, will be released uh, within the first couple weeks of the new year. So that's still got to get signed, has to get out there. Um, one of the things that I found was interesting off of her talk was she said that, you know, Penn State needs to be in the top three in the Big Ten in terms of assistant coaching salaries, which she said they are. Also in terms of head coaching salaries, which she said they are. Um, and of course, this is all in reference to football. Um, so you look at the assistant yeah, coaching pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's just make sure we're clear on this one. Uh, certainly, um, when it comes to football, they, she said they're in the top three. Now she also made it a point, which we've said it on here. I've written it a bunch of times too. You know, when you look at some of these assistant coaching salaries or coordinator salaries, especially people look and they say, Oh, Brent Price figures this it's way underpaid. Again, this is not the total compensation for these guys and that's what you have to keep in mind so getting figures that are within the top three as barber said they are um, again this isn't you know penn state is committed to hiring the best coordinators and paying them among you know those big 10 benchmarks so i thought that was really interesting uh, but once we see the terms of franklin's contract here uh, hopefully in the next week or two then we'll certainly be able to dig into that much more and, of course, look at the buyout, the bonuses, all those sorts of things. Well, that'll about do it here for our final game recap. Amazingly, it's, it's over. feels like we were we just survived. starting dear old state a couple days ago. Uh, we've gotten through 13 games. Again, Penn State gives 11-2. and two. So glad you enjoyed your trip to Dallas, Audrey, and Penn State certainly seemed to enjoy it as well. 53 points, a Penn State bowl record. So that'll do it for us on Dear Old State today with our bowl recap. We will be back soon. Still plenty to discuss. We'll, we'll uh, Pretty soon we will do a recap of the entire season. And there's still some news we're waiting on with the coaching contract, with draft NFL. decisions, everything else mm-hmm. that comes in, in January. So we will be back soon. And uh, we thank you for listening to Dear Old State. Dear Old State.